Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Are you feeling a bit animated? Well, come on over to the Wicked Anime Podcast on the Nerdy Show Network, a bi-weekly podcast dedicated to animation, Japanese culture, and all things anime. With a true industry perspective, we're always diving deeper than school uniforms and tentacle monsters. Join us on the Wicked Anime Podcast, nerdyshow.com slash Wicked Anime. It's Wicked A! Lightning Dogs, the official podcast presented by the Nerdy Show Network. Geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination. And with the generous support of listeners like you. To learn how you can support this and other fine geek programming, visit nerdishow.com. Lightning Dogs is conceived as an all-ages property, but these behind-the-scenes conversations are not all-ages. So listen at your own discretion, baby. Woo! Sometimes a great idea is truly like a bolt of lightning. And sometimes, if you're lucky enough, you can capture the exact moment that it strikes. That's what happened for us one fateful night while recording an episode of Nerdy Show. We accidentally launched a concept that derailed the entire show, and in no time, our lives. We couldn't stop talking about our favorite action figures and B-movies while twisting them into strange creatures, weird adventures, and dog puns. Lots of dog puns. This is the story of Lightning Dogs, a journey steeped in the glory of 80s and 90s animation and sci-fi where anthropomorphic dogs tear through the wasteland of a ruined earth, battling mutants, miscreants, and the evil glampire. Coming soon to small screens, comic books, and podcasts. Or at least that's the goal. But how do you go from a crazy idea into a fully formed world of conflict and characters? How does a harebrained discussion become an animated series? That's what we're finding out firsthand. We've recorded the entire development of Lightning Dogs since day one, from the moment of conception to every world-building session and planning meeting, and the journey is still ongoing. Tune in as we create the world of the Lightning Dogs live. Welcome to Lightning Dogs. Oh! Hi, I'm Cap, and in this episode, Doug, Tony, and I return to the drawstream format. That's where Tony works on character designs digitally, while Doug and I give him suggestions, and the three of us get into our usual peculiar conversations about pop culture and the world of the wasteland. We did this once before, in episode 22, where we tackled some new looks for a supporting villain, Queen Lich. Basically, the way it works is this episode is coming to you in two formats. The podcast documentary that you're listening to right now, and an uncut video format where you can hear, and most importantly, see the session as it happened. Of course, we'll also be posting the art from this episode on our various online galleries. When the team last convened, we finalized our outlines for each of our main characters and got a rough idea of the first season's worth of adventures. Now the pressure was on for final character designs. But as is the case with these drawstream sessions, talking about just design or just the character at hand is never the case. There's always so much more to explore. To kick things off with our final character designs, we're spending some quality time with Dingo, the leader of the pack. 
Dingo can help inform everybody else because he's going to be kind of our, for lack of a better term, a cookie cutter character. You know, his uniform is firm and pressed and he is the dog on a mission and he's got a job to do and he's going to do that job and he's going to look good doing it. He is like the standard dog shape as well. Everyone else is kind of a variation of Dingo. From this, we can kind of springboard and Pierre can customize it a little bit. Angela can customize it a little bit to reflect their specialties and kind of go from there. We've designed a lot of the dogs in the past. I've done some drawings. Tony's done much more drawings. And there's a general consensus on the core of what they look like. But there's still some things to be decided, like how will those uniforms change and how quickly will they change in the show based on, you know, needing to mad maxify their outfits. I also imagine that Dingo and Kane are the only people who don't really have to worry about their uniform after the powers because their powers don't really have anything to do with their movement. I never pictured Kane wearing a standard uniform similar to Kid. True. Well, I mean, I, I, what I really mean is like their outfits, like their, their standard outfits that they wear like during the course of the show because Dingo doesn't run faster than normal. He doesn't take bullets. You know, like he's he's still mortal. Whereas Angela, what she wears, especially once they're in like wasteland survival mode, is probably going to look a lot different than what Dingo would be wearing because she can take some pretty hard hits and dish them out. Angela doesn't hurt nobody. She, she's friendly. She wore an evening gown that one time I drew her. Yeah, but I think she's going to hurt a lot of people <laughs> over the course of uh, the show. And I'm not sure we're ever going to see her in an evening gown. If she is, she might be pretty mad about it. I don't know. I don't know. I, I see her having this this like refined sort of background. Like she's she knows how to hobnob. Are you, are you speaking with a southern accent again? Is that... No. <laughs> no, I wasn't intentionally doing it. Um, I see her having this sort of refined sort of background. We've been over the discussion of lightning dogs and accents and how that would represent. And the biggest thing, and this is all this pertains to drawing Dingo here, the biggest thing I don't want to do is have any opportunity for people to make the easy comparison to Road Rovers. Right. I've just sent a link along for an illustration I did of Dingo back in the day that was meant to kind of overcome that idea because the illustrations of Dingo so far, he's a blonde dog in kind of a jumpsuit thing, and that is a lot like that lead character in Road War or Road Rovers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now this is definitely more Mad Max-like in the sense that it looks a little cobbled together based on things he might have found. Right, but also I wanted to have a uniform underneath it, like whereas you see battle damage on his kind of football shoulder pads kind of thing. I wanted it to look like he has gear on that straight up could just be dirtier versions of the military gear he came with. The armor, the undershirt, the pants, and even the boots which have sort of a complicated look to them are all things that could be military issue from Domus. It's just not necessarily the first thing our minds would have gone to for that. Right. We've got our figure for Dingo. As Cap has pointed out, I've drawn him quite a few times, and I've drawn him kind of in this, like, pseudo-futuristic, like, shock troop, Under Armour type thing that things can be on top of with some military pants and some future boots. Can we, can we pull not up a couple detailed. graphics here? Picture of the lead character from Road Rovers. I forget his name. Is that Hunter? Yes. And then also the thing that I drew that was meant to be, let's see what Dingo could look like if he was absolutely not Road Rovers. Oh, that is, that is fucking cool. Admittedly, I did my picture without looking at the Road Rovers. Maybe the shoulder pads were a bad idea, because apparently they have those. I didn't remember. Yeah, I'm looking it up now. They do have shoulder pads, and they got, they do have tails, too, so, shit, I thought they went without tails. There's only so much you can do with an anthropomorphic dog, guys. It's okay. Already, like... Third row down on a Google image search. I'm already wishing I didn't do it. <laughs> I'm already wishing I didn't. I didn't make the search for Road Rovers. 
Well, hey, Doug, depending on the popularity of lightning dogs, you can bet your bottom dollar that... Uh, oh, hey, man, no. I'm all for anyone doing whatever they want with lightning dogs as long as it just spreads the fandom. If fans want to go nuts with lightning dogs, I mean, it won't necessarily be my thing, but uh, I'm not going to stop anyone else from having a good time. <laughs> rule, just... rule 34 is how you gauge your success, quite frankly. Uh, yeah, you know if, what? You could say that, yeah. If people want to all put right. an emotional slash sexual connection with something you've designed... You've done a good job. It maybe didn't connect the way you thought it was going to, but actually you've it's succeeded. It's connected. That's, yeah. that's a thing. So the look that I was kind of aping a little bit was Solid Snake's bodysuit in what I was putting together. Mm, right, yeah. Which so really, really, Solid Snake's bodysuit is really just an inspiration of Kyle Reese. I didn't realize that. I had. I did not realize that. Wow. For those of you who were unaware of the fact that the original box art for Metal Gear on the Nintendo Entertainment System is a complete ripoff of Kyle Reese... Your mind has been blown. Yeah, it ba-dap, totally ba-dap, has. Ba-dap, ba-dap. That's great. And I assume that was just the American box art. No, I believe that is the original box art for Metal Gear. It's a ripoff of both Kyle Reese and Escape from New York. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they did the same thing with Contra. Contra was a, like a, the cover of Contra was a blatant <laughs> ripoff of Arnold and Stallone and the Xenomorphs. Holy God, I didn't realize just how bad it was. That is entertaining. And in fact, I've seen a version where the Rambo one on the right is actually not another version of Arnold. It's actually a frame from a Rambo film. This is making me feel better about the fact that we're not stealing anything and we're trying to be as original as possible. In spite of all the inspiration that went into Lightning Dogs, yeah. So here we have Road Rovers, which we want to stay away from this. This is Verbolden. Yeah, I mean, they're very streamlined, looking like Fantastic Four kind of team. They have a definite uniform I'll start with kind of what I've been drawing him in, going with this almost collar type deal to hang the dog tags off of. So while I'm working, how are you guys? How's your week been? I did manage to get a little bit of a write-up for Halloween Jack done. If you like, I can pull that up and read it to you guys. Sure. That actually sounds like perfect background noise. Here we go. I got Halloween Jack, age 102, rank Colonel, parentheses, soon to be a one-star Brigadier General. Weapon of choice, sledgehammer, power set, knows how to survive in the wasteland. Personality, a real live wire with a short fuse. Winning is surviving, and he'll cheat at every opportunity. Bio, if Sid Vicious and John McClane had a baby that grew up in a nuclear fallout, it would still be nicer, cleaner, and less sarcastic than Halloween Jack. (laughs) Like a cockroach in the rubble after World War III, this guy seems impossible to kill. He's loud, rude, and demands to be the center of attention unless Glampire shows up. Jack's job is to turn the freaks and beasts of the wasteland into an army for Glampire. Jack possesses no skills for this whatsoever. He was appointed Colonel mainly as a way to pacify him as he proves to be insufferable. It's been almost 80 years since Glampire first spared his life, and Jack still lives for the useless titles and promotions that Glampire tosses his way. Goals. To be king of shit mountain. Fears. Pain, death, and a painful death. (laughs) Loves smashing skulls with a hammer. Hates. Cars that just won't freaking work! Exclamation point. (laughs) I like all of that. My only request is that in his bio, Colonel is spelled K-E-R-N-E-L, because that's (laughs) how he thinks it's spelled. That's Yeah, he would spell it like, he would take spray paint, spray it on the side of his wagon, and just say, Colonel Jack. And it's like, you see that? You see what that says? That means I'm the boss. (laughs) I have like two sentences for the Diamond Dogs, which just simply says, Woven by the glass spiders and the caves beneath Glampire's Fortress, the Diamond Dogs are powerful crystal warriors. 
Neither alive nor dead, their mindless and unwavering devotion to Glampire makes them a lethal threat to the Lightning Dogs. That is for sure all anybody will know officially for quite some time. Mm-hmm. And that is all that needs to be said about them. I'm curious why Glampire would waste his time humoring Jack if he's actually useless. Well, I wouldn't say that he's 100% useless as much as he is keeping... Because here's the thing. I don't know if Glampire is actually worried about what would happen if all of the freaks of the Wasteland decided to storm his castle and rip him to shreds. I mean, there is a danger in organized numbers unless they're working for you. I guess part of me was subconsciously making it like, okay, well, there's all these monsters outside, like the giant Cyclops freaks and spider people and everything else, and they're not 100% mindless. If I could just convince them to work for me instead of trying to tear down my walls and stealing from me and maybe murdering me in the process, then that's a good thing. So they need some sort of form of hierarchy because he, he doesn't want to be dealing with them. You know, he doesn't want to like have to talk to them and give them the inspirational speeches like Immortan Joe. He at least addresses the people every now and then, whereas Glampire would rather just talk to Halloween Jack and be like, hey, man, just tell them to chill the fuck out and like they would do it right. because Glampire might show up on a balcony and that would be like an yeah. amazing thing for anyone who is loyal to him. Oh my God. Right. He was, he was there. He said my name. He said my name. That's because your name is shit. Yeah, but he said it. <laughs> but you see what I'm saying? Like he doesn't want to have any hands on or face to face with any of the freaks of the wasteland. He just wants to make sure they're not knocking down his walls. And if it means humoring Jack, he's willing to do it. I mean, he's not going to debase himself in front of Halloween Jack if Halloween Jack steps out of line. Dude, that's the thing. He just needs a random person to be the leader and Halloween Jack fit the bill for the moment. And if Halloween Jack were to ever actually step out of line, he'd have no problem killing him and then just say pointing to the next freak in line and saying, you're the new general. And he would do this over and over and over again until he got something he was satisfied with. Right. I guess Halloween Jack is just barely competent enough. I guess the point that I was getting at was that Halloween Jack is good at staying alive and keeping other people in line. Even if it wouldn't be effective on humans or dogs, it's effective on the freaks. Just the simple intimidation tactics and him being bossy. And like I said, him being willing to cheat. He he will do anything to stay on top. You're my number one guy. Yeah, he wouldn't mind licking Glampire's boots if it meant he gets to keep his title, you know, of of, uh, whatever. Oh, and the other point that I was going to bring up is that I think it'd be kind of funny if when they meet Halloween Jack, he's, you know, colonel of like these freaks. And after the first encounter and the lightning dogs get away and, and they're, you know, three to four episode arc, you know, where they're here to stay. They're still mm-hmm. alive. And now they got superpowers. Halloween Jack is complaining to Glampire in the throne room. He's just like, I don't this is not this is all crap. I don't know what to do. And he's just like, I don't care what it takes. You got to find them and get it done. He's like, OK, for starters, I want a better car. Like, like we need to upgrade my vehicle. And he's just like, OK, you'll get that. But that means you're my new general. And he's just like, what? And so he's just to give him the motivation. He becomes a one-star general. And then I feel like it'd be funny to me, at least if each season he goes back to Glampire, like end of season one, he goes back to Glampire and he's just like, they beat the shit out of me way too many times. I can't do this. I'm frustrated. You haven't been helping me. You just, all you do is sit here in your ivory tower. And like, you know, no way for my general to speak to me. It's like general doesn't mean shit to me anymore. General. I'm like, I'm a general of what? And then you're like, I believe you're a two-star general. And he's like, oh. <laughs> you know, like it is completely like reinvigorated. Like every season, it's like end of season two. I can't do it anymore. <laughs> like he comes there with like his arm and a sling. He's like, no, I can't do it. And he's like, how would you like that third star? He's like, it goes up to three. <laughs> Plus it'd be a great way to promote the toys. It's just a simple repaint. Put another star on his helmet. <laughs> <laughs> Cheap bastard. 
I've always thought of Jack's position in the world as basically the sheriff of Nottingham. His relationship with Glampire is pretty important, and if he's a guy who's so much of an intellectual infant, I mean, granted, we want him to be a, a thug character, but why would Glampire spend so much time manipulating him and letting him be a hanger-on despite his successive failures and so on, promoting him and all that? At the end of the day, the freaks do listen to him. Like he, At the end of the day, he is in charge of the army, He's the and, only one that they've listened to thus yeah, far for yeah. this long. Because for whatever reason, we could always just say the freaks didn't listen to Glampire in the beginning. There could even be someone above him, a King John type below Glampire and above Jack. There could be someone who's the administrator of Glampire's immediate kingdom beneath his tower. But Jack is the guy who knocks on people's doors and pokes around in their belongings and causes trouble. Do you have a moment to discuss our Lord and Savior, Glampire? He's literally Glampire's eyes out there in the wasteland, so if they were to stumble across someone who was hoarding crystals, like if any freaks were keeping crystals, he would like, you know, burn their village and take their crystals to live in the Glampire, that sort of thing. Yeah, he's a valued thug. I just, I'm not sure I see him getting promoted perpetually, you know? Well, um, he's not, not actually being promoted, though. It's like it's, the idea was that it's a fake title. It, does, it doesn't make it, it doesn't make a damn bit of difference. Like his responsibilities don't change. If Glampire actually has generals, that might not look so good. We don't really know that yet. If he has generals, we'll use some other form of hierarchy. If he doesn't, it works. It's either military or, I mean, you can be the Duke of Canterbury, the Archduke of Canterbury, and Jack doesn't even necessarily need to know what the fuck Canterbury is, but, you know, the fact that he's the Duke of it makes him happy. I, I just went with the star motif because it would literally be him giving him the equivalent of a gold star sticker. Right, you know, like right. It, it means nothing. Why not even just have him give him gold star stickers? <laughs> Why are you still in charge, Jack? Because I got more stars than any of you blokes. And I'm, nope, 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 nope. Had something better and it, it left as soon as I started talking. So this happens to the best of us. <laughs> I, I can't wait to get some actors in the studio to just like have, be like, all right, here's the, here's the character. Here's what he looks like. Here's the description and have them come up with something to surprise us because I just feel like we truly don't know. <laughs> we really don't. I would love if the first actor we have in the studio sits there and goes, all right now, Glampire. Just all this time, all this time thinking, and that's the one that they go for too. Well, then it'll be destiny, I suppose. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. We then moved exclusively to Designing Dingo. Included here are all the conversations that play best as audio and offer the most when it comes to character insights. But if you're curious about the artistic process, you might want to check out the video. Tony has a lot of pro tips therein for what at the time was called Manga Studio, but is now known as Clip Studio Paint. As a tangential note, 
If you've watched the video version, you'll have heard me mention my difficult feelings when it comes to digital illustration. Those discussions didn't make it into the podcast because they hinged so much on the on-screen visuals, but here's the gist of it. I love working with physical media and don't connect at all with the act of drawing when my pen isn't leaving marks that create an image. For me, the distance from tablet to screen is kind of like drawing in a fog. I've spent a fair amount of time trying to break through that barrier, but the precision drawing I do in physical media just hasn't made it to the screen yet. I think digital illustration is really cool, and I've always been curious if my situation would change were I to, say, get my hands on one of those tablets that's also a computer screen. You know, so my marks would be immediate, and the subtleties of how my technique and even my creative mind would work, you know, on the page. It's kind of complicated to explain. Anyhow, most importantly, the reason we're talking about all this is I recently had a chance to try out one of those tablet screens, and I'm happy to say that it actually made a world of difference. And of course, just like when I got my hands on some virtual reality gear and tried the art software Google Tilt Brush, the first thing I drew was a lightning dog. Linked to this episode's page, you'll find my all-digital illustration of Dingo and his crystal machete. It's not even remotely my finest work, and definitely not an essential piece of concept art, but it was really fun to actually feel like digital illustration was working for me. And also, I used some digital watercolor to fill it in, and it looks surprisingly good. But enough of this art aside, back to the draw stream at hand. So this is the design that I have been kind of utilizing in all of the art that I've done so far. Well, it's, mm-hmm. it's a more uh, more complex version, which I like. Mm-hmm. I think the sleeveless thing definitely makes him stand out, which is good. It makes him like look like he's ready for Bruce Willis-style combat. I was just about to say the exact same thing. I dig the sleeveless look as like the casual around the base kind of thing. And maybe he gets into a quick scrap. But I am interested to see like what kind of jacket we would put on him. Like what kind of Mad Max Bruce Willie. I don't want to say leather jacket because that makes it sound like fashionable. But like what kind of cool jacket would he wear on top of this if he's like going into some serious shit or if he's going out at night or if there's like a sandstorm. The dog tags, obviously the lightning dogs need dog tags, obviously. I do yeah. think that maybe the collar thing is a bit overcomplicated. Like maybe we shouldn't have both. Yeah, I think the dog tag should just go around his neck, maybe. The idea of the collar did seem really cool at the time, but once we started talking about, like, religious implications, I'm like, it's almost better for that. I don't know. I mean, I like it. I'm trying to think of what makes the most sense. I I think it's pretty compelling with the religious statement thing, but on the other hand, when are we ever going to have the opportunity to go down that particular rabbit hole? Right. I could see it being kind of a punk rock thing for dogs. The punk rock thing wouldn't be collars. It would be the, like, choke collars, the training collars. Could be. Wouldn't want to get into a fight with one of those, though. But I mean, I'm saying, like, if collars were a religious thing, then having like weirdly fashionable ones would be super counterculture. Like, there'd be a whole demographic of dogs on Domus would be like, "Yo, that's in real bad taste. Like, what's wrong with you?" Nah, man. Um, like, like Madonna yeah. wearing a rosary is fashion, you know? Right now, um, on the note of uh, dog tags themselves and not just the collars, should the dog tags be rectangular, like, or oval, like ours, or should they be circular, like a traditional dog uh, ID? A traditional dog ID doesn't really exist anymore. Owning two dogs, you can have them in whatever shape you want. Hell, a right. lot of them have little bones. Yeah, but I mean, like Which the I uh, the, the standard now, <laughs> the standard cartoon dog identification, like something you'd see on Snoopy or Pluto, like they're always circular. Well, this is going to boil down to marketing for us because we have plans already to make lightning dogs dog tags, and if we go with a circular one, we're going to have less real estate to do cool stuff with. For our own purposes. Also true. Plus, I mean, in reality, you know, a circular one doesn't give you much room to do 
actual good information like it might just have the dog's name but something rectangular because it's not something for a human to identify them with it's for them to identify themselves like blood type and name next of kin all that stuff plus they're a military outfit so it would just stand to reason that it's traditional military shaped and size which also give us the opportunity because dog tags are unless this has changed they're stamped metal we could make our dog tags dog tag shaped but have them have the same metal etching process as a modern dog tag does which would enable it to be double-sided. So on one mm-hmm. side, we could have the Lightning Dogs logo, and on the other side, we could have information. Are modern dog tags like that? They're not stamped? They're, they're like etched into it now? Yeah, well, if you, I mean, you go, to, go to the kiosk at PetSmart, man. Get yourself a dog tag. Well, I mean, literal tags for dogs, but I mean like military dog tags. Like if I sign up tomorrow, oh, what are they going to get And that's me? the thing. I don't know. I have no idea. What I'm seeing for the search of modern dog tags is essentially exactly the same as it always has been except perhaps a silicone or rubber casing around the sides of it yeah and those are great so it doesn't make any noise when you move and it doesn't slice into you so if we do what i described previously if we're all on board with that then that should probably be the gist of it and now dingo has a jacket i'm curious about the arm thing he has a gauntlet on his arm and what Mm -hmm. does it do the way that i've always kind of pictured it is kind of just a, a tactical communications wrist type dealy. I mean, I kind of went with it from a cliche standpoint more than anything else because it's like, oh, they've always they've got that wrist thing. It's futuristic. Look at it go. But it would be an effective way of keeping their communications. And I don't know if practically it would work in the series because obviously any kind of like terrain and all that would be given to you generally by satellite. And if there are no satellites around, though, you know what? No, I guess they could tap into the Earth's remaining satellites if there's anything left. Oh, shit, you guys. You're talking about a communication device. Like, obviously, they're out in the wasteland and stuff like that. I think I've brought this up once before on a previous episode. I don't know how long ago it was, or maybe I never even brought it up at all. It could but have been 400 years. Go ahead. Yeah, it could have been. And uh, But since we're drawing Dingo, and we've been talking Bruce Willie, <laughs> have you guys seen Tears of the Sun? I have not. Okay, no. In I... Tears of the Sun, Bruce Willis is the lead of a SEAL team, and they're dropped in the jungles, and they have a communication device, which is based on the, this real technology where their comm units, like their equivalent of like walkie talkies, are actually worn around their neck like a collar because they hug like your voice box. So the idea is that you could whisper and it would hear you. This might be the answer to what the collars are. That actually kind of sounds like a less futuristic version of the codec from Metal Gear. In the movie, when they're using it, you can see them like putting their hands to their throats just to make sure that it's hugging their vocal cords. And they, they like they can whisper in this and they can easily pick them up, you know, like because they're, you know, they're hiding in the woods and stuff like that. And they don't want to be discovered. They don't have to go. Roger that. Uh, can you repeat that? They can hear them pretty clearly. And Bruce has got an earpiece. It's weird because we've talked about Bruce Willis as an influence before, but we never used the film where he is a leader of an elite squad <laughs> like on a dangerous <laughs> mission. <laughs> never referenced it. <laughs> it's interesting because like, while this is very, very cool. It is a lot more gear that would kind of clutter up Dingo's design and would also need to clutter up the design of every other character. But it is a really cool device that I could see them using on the regular. If we want an excuse for them to wear collars because we like the look of it, that's a great excuse. We don't have to go overly gadgetize it. You know, it could just be a collar with a little box on the front. Like just, I mean, something simple, something really non-invasive and something that doesn't really draw your eye too much. Here's the thing. You watch the end of the first Avengers movie. And Tony Stark is like pulling the missile up into the thing. And he's just like, all right, everybody, I'm sorry. I got to go do this thing. And you cut down and Steve Rogers is on the ground and his mask has already been ripped off earlier in the fight. And he's like, no, Tony, don't do it. I'm like, how the fuck do you hear him? Like, you know, this, and how does he hear you? You're not speaking into a device. Oh, and- God, I didn't even notice that. 
I yeah. feel like an idiot. That is what's known as narrative blindness. It's okay. Yeah, he's not speaking into any device, but yet he puts his hand up to his ear as if he's hearing him. So, I mean, you could argue that he's got like a little earbud thing like buried in his ear that's like a transmitter. But is that same piece of technology also hearing Steve's own voice? It doesn't ruin the movie. It's just one simple thing where you go, how the hell do they do it? It's the fridge logic of like, how do they do that? So if we wanted to have that without them carrying radios and animating them, holding a radio to their face over and over again. If we do use it, I would definitely like a different design than the one that's on screen presently. That's easy enough. Um, I was just going for something kind of in between what Willis had done along with a little bit of future tech on it. The dogs wouldn't have to have a visible ear device because they could all have, you know, if, if there's a hearing aid in a dog ear, you're not going to fucking see it. Of course, yeah. What I'm doing now is just kind of a simple oval design, almost like it's a jewel, maybe even crystal powered, where they're communicating through the crystal's frequency. That's got a bit too much like magical girl tiara. I'm sorry, what's wrong with a little <laughs> bit of shoujo action in there's, your cap? There's not, there's not a goddamn thing wrong with it. It just, I don't think that was a trope oh, we wanted to explore in Lightning Dogs. I, I think I kind of do because I would love for them to show up to Utaku and him look at him and go, you are my waffles. You are the magical girls and the dogs. Magical dogs. <laughs> and, and Kane is like, it's not magic. It's science. And then, of course, kid's like, well, we do have superpowers. <laughs> so he just corrects them. Like, <laughs> what do we think of this? I'm feeling it. That looks good. I'm totally down with that. This is pitch Bible worthy. So it's just like, we're happy with the design. And uh, there's always room for improvement. But the thing about the Pitch Bible is these need to be the sort of thing that you would, would show to a network, right? You know? Right. It's got to look dumb. I mean, I'm happy with it. If it never changes, that's like fine. I'm just saying we don't need to be like, this specifically is final air quality. As close as we can get to that, great. But otherwise, we'll never finish, you know? Mm-hmm. While I'm all for wrist bracers, I would err on the side of no bracers. I think having a complicated knee pad, ankle bracer kind of leg thing is a good move because... You're in the field on rocky terrain. You're always taking a knee. It's probably a good idea to not have to think twice about getting on your knees, you know? Like, you're ready for it in all cases. So that's good. And then with the wrist stuff, I think you probably can go light on that. I always figured the wrist-mounted device was always great for kid anyway. Mm-hmm. All right, so getting rid of bracer. I just, I wanted something else on his arm. Fingerless gloves? Well, of course. Everybody, every military outfit needs fingerless gloves see what else what else do we need here i would recommend on that jacket horizontal ridges either on the jacket flaps or the sleeves because those look kind of 80s and cool collar's a bit big it either needs to be that big under the idea that if he was in cold weather it could fold up and would have like little strappy things so that it would connect into like an extended collar turtleneck thing or shorter. When I was first picturing a jacket, I guess I was picturing a basic motorcycle jacket where, like, the bottom is more at waist level. Helps I've been watching Daredevil Season 2. Is that, like, what the Punisher's got, or is that what... Oh, uh, yeah. Castle is rocking a jacket that very closely resembles this. So I felt I was uniquely equipped today of all days to design this jacket for Dingo. What are you thinking for colors here? Because, like, the, the, the core color designs of that sleeveless top there on Dingo is going to be pretty important. I was thinking just kind of a, a dark black, maybe a dark blue. Maybe even dark green. We got to think about not just how it's going to look in contrast to his fur, but also how it's going to look in contrast to the generally warm hues of the wasteland. That's why I figured like a maybe a dark royal or navy blue. This is a momentous occasion. This is our first time fucking coloring dingo. That's weird. I didn't realize that, but you're right. How many years we've been drawing this dog? Since 2013, at least. Three goddamn years. You know what that means? 
New Roswell was the first one to do a color lightning dog's image. Well, it's only appropriate yeah. that fans would be the ones to do these images first. Yeah, yeah. If it wasn't for their out-of-this-world enthusiasm, we would not be doing this. As much fun as it was, I don't think we, would, we ever would have thought, no, we really need to take time out and make this a thing. You know? We need to take three years and a collective, like, seven straight days of talking about this concept. So, I think... We're not done yet. Is... We gotta okay. do the head. I know you've been drawing Dingo's face for a while, but if we're doing up Dingo here, we're, we're getting this, like, final Dingo design. Let's go to his face and let's make some final decisions about the face of our lead hero for the show. Oh, I found a good picture of a Dingo looking somewhat stoic. The one that Cap said with <laughs> <laughs> where did that come from it's like the fifth row down from from searching dingo on google <laughs> are you serious yeah who did this it's a, a web <laughs> website called zooportraits.com <laughs> do they please do they have a basset hound <laughs> I, I haven't i didn't go to the website i have no i just found the picture i'm right? looking it up i'm looking it up tony you gotta see this <laughs> god damn it to offer some clarity to the audio version what we found was a high-quality Photoshop collage of a stone-faced dingo wearing a light blue shirt and a dark blue vest. Almost exactly what Tony had already drawn. It sounds dumb, I know, but trust me, zoo portraits are amazing. We'll have links on this episode's page. Ladies and gentlemen, it turns out that Lightning Dogs is like 20 years too late. Because yeah, we're, we're a fraud. It's been done. It's <laughs> all been done. <laughs> I'm just seeing it side by side. <laughs> Guys, I'm fucking done. I don't, I don't got to do anything else. Here we go. <laughs> He's even wearing a blue shirt, guys. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. That's a very attractive ocelot on zooportraits.com. Cap. Oh, my God. If only they just labeled this leatherhead fan art. There's a picture of a saltwater crocodile. I know leatherhead is an alligator. But, like, there's this fucking crocodile. <laughs> looks like he's he's got, like, a fucking cowboy hat and a denim jacket and a medallion. <laughs> it's the greatest thing. Zoo Portraits right. is a funny website. This is great. Do we want to get a sample from this fur color for Woo! Dingo's fur? Snow Leopard. Yeah, you should probably do that. So let's see what it looks like at least. But like Snow Leopard. Uh, Snow um, Leopard ain't nothing to fuck with. No, she is a powerful businesswoman. <laughs> it's ZooPortraits.com, everybody. The unofficial sponsor of Lightning Dog. Great website. We well done. Character generator. <laughs> <laughs> if ever we need a character, it's like, all right, let's let's go to Zoo Portraits, find out what's going on here. Yeah, when the RPG of Lightning Dogs is ready, you can go there. <laughs> just <laughs> Roll 1d10 to see what row it is, and then roll a d6 to see what column it's in. That's your character in the wasteland. I'm doing it. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel about the hairstyle, Doug? I think the scruff is good for later in the wasteland, but when they first land, he's a little more clean cut. <laughs> this is like Dingo's nom vet look. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's kind of what say, I'm going for. A yeah, bit. more like a Mad Max at the beginning of Beyond Thunderdome. Wasteland look. Did we ever pick an eye for Dingo's scar? Roll a d20. <laughs> if it's center higher, it's the left eye. I rolled a six. All right. It stays the way I've been drawing it. I think we got it. Yeah, I feel pretty good about this. Ladies and gentlemen, Sebastian Dingo Redpaw. Looking really good, Tony. There's ways to expand and develop, but mm -hmm. it keeps it so distinctly different from what we have over there. In the Road Rovers camp. <laughs> <sighs> Feels good getting Dingo, like, done. You know, big thing that I wanted to capture was that he does still look somewhat youthful. That you could believe this guy can simultaneously carry himself, that he knows what he's doing, but also that he doesn't entirely. I think this is a good place to call it. In our next episode, 
We're once again teaming up with our vehicle designer, Maxacree, to discuss some new Wasteland rides. We'll be back to Drawstream soon. We recorded them intermittently, meeting when we could, for other Lightning Dogs creative get-togethers as we worked towards the big push of taking our project public, which, as of this release, was now a full year ago. And that's crazy, and wow, what an awesome year this has been. To everyone who's joined us on this journey as a member of the pack or a casual listener or the fine folks who visited us at conventions, thank you so much. You have helped us keep the stream alive. And it really can't be overemphasized that doing a project at this scale in our spare time is fucking hard. So your support has really, truly kept us going. If you haven't yet, please do consider joining the pack over on Patreon at patreon.com slash lightning dogs. Even a dollar makes a world of difference. It helps us pay for artwork from Max, as well as other artists. We're also putting all the funds we can aside so that in 2018, we'll be giving our pitch Bible to Greg Weissman and other industry professionals as we prepare to run the gauntlet of making this doggy dream a reality. Plus, if you're digging this Drawstream content, being a patron gives you a head start. We've got all the character design Drawstream videos finished, ready to be posted alongside each episode as it releases. But patrons can watch all eight remaining videos right now. Of course, there's other ways you can support us. You can shop on Amazon at nerdyshow.com Amazon. Anything you buy through that portal gives back to this show and all the shows on the Nerdy Show Network. We also have t-shirts with the Lightning Dogs emblem and our 36-page Lightning Dog sketchbook, which has a ton of art and info, kind of like a mini pitch Bible. And we do want to create more Lightning Dogs merch. Those dog tags we mentioned, we want those to be a thing. We've got the means to self-produce them. We've just got to firm up some design details and logistics. Soon as we know the sitch, We'll keep everyone posted on how to become a tag-carrying lightning dog. Another aside from all the stuff we talked about, Tears of the Sun is one of the many films coming to the 2018 releases for Wasteland Drive-In, our Patreon-exclusive podcast, where we watch movies that we suspect might inspire and inform the world of lightning dogs. October's film was the strange and stunning, relatively unknown science fantasy animated feature Star Chaser, The Legend of Orin. And November's film is none other than one of the first films we ever referenced in conjunction with the aesthetics of Lightning Dogs. I'm talking like the first episode, the first moment that we came up with the premise, and that's Six String Samurai. But the thing is, none of us had actually ever seen the movie until now. As always, all the artwork created or mentioned on this episode will be posted on our online galleries and linked on this episode's page. But something else you might want to check out is our Inktober art. Inktober is a month-long event where artists are given daily one-day prompts to inspire a drawing that they'll make using only ink if possible. Max, Tony, and I did a lot of pieces last year and tried our hand at it again this year, though admittedly this time around things were much more hectic and we didn't manage to do as many as we would have liked. But personally, I produced some of my favorite Lightning Dogs concept art to date, including two new creatures, a new Peopleoid character, and an action-packed portrait of Captain Scrap. So be sure to check those out. In fact, if you follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, you might have already seen them. If not, well, seek us out on your favorite social platforms and run with the pack wherever you go. We'll see you in two weeks with another installment of Lightning Dogs, the official podcast. Ah! Cap, what are you on, Cap? We're supposed to be focusing. I rolled my zoo portraits character. God damn it. I'm not super thrilled. What did you get? I, I got the African manatee and a, what looks like an Eskimo parka. <laughs> 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 